Hello everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the second of two parts about transfusion medicine, titled Transfusion Without Confusion. In our last episode, we talked about the components of blood, general principles around ordering blood products, and specific indications for the transfusion of red blood cells, platelets, fresh frozen plasma, prothrombin complex concentrate, cryoprecipitate, and albumin. In this episode, we're going to talk about transfusion reactions, including clinical manifestations, workup, and management of these reactions. If you haven't listened to part one of Transfusion Without Confusion yet, we highly recommend that you do. It contains key information that will help you approach a patient who may require a transfusion. Today, your patient needs a blood product transfusion, and you are the doctor. Just to recap from part one, donated whole blood is divided up into its component parts, red blood cells, platelets, and plasma for transfusion. Plasma can be given whole or further separated based on its proteins. In a patient who may require a blood product, first ensure that they are stable in terms of airway, breathing, and circulation. Consider asking for help if they are not. Informed consent must be provided unless there is an acute concern for life or limb. Your job doesn't just end after you order the blood product. Transfusion reactions to blood products can range from benign to potentially fatal and may not present until hours to weeks after the transfusion has completed. Transfusion reactions can be broadly divided into two categories, acute and chronic, based on their timing. With any suspected transfusion reaction, it is important to ensure that the patient is in a well-monitored setting with adequate IV access. All vital signs should be rechecked, and the identification of both the patient and the blood product should be confirmed again. Stop the transfusion immediately if it is not yet complete. All suspected transfusion reactions should be reported to the blood bank. If the reaction is severe, your blood bank may request that the blood product in question be sent back to the lab for further testing. So don't dispose of the half-finished product or any associated tubing until you have heard back from them. Even if the transfusion is complete, the small amount of product remaining in the bag is often enough to draw samples and run tests. The most common acute adverse event related to transfusion is an allergic reaction. This can vary in severity from a mild, local reaction to full-blown anaphylaxis. Allergic reactions are more common from platelet and plasma products rather than blood cells and are thought to be mediated by donor allergens or by IgE. They can occur in up to 3% of platelet and plasma transfusions. A minor allergic reaction is defined by urticaria or a rash covering less than two-thirds of the body surface, without danger symptoms suggesting an anaphylactic response. The rash is often limited around the area of the IV site for the transfusion, although it can also be elsewhere. Minor allergic reactions are treated with antihistamines, and the transfusion can be restarted if there are no other concerns. You should suspect a generalized allergic reaction or anaphylactic reaction if there is a larger rash, respiratory symptoms suggestive of reactive airways, severe GI symptoms, or evidence of clinical instability such as hypotension. Management is centered around supportive treatment, including antihistamines, steroids, and epinephrine if the reaction is anaphylactoid. If the allergic reaction is severe, involving hemodynamic instability or airway compromise, critical care specialists should be promptly consulted for possible admission or transfer. Another common acute transfusion reaction is fever. 
Fever here is defined as a body temperature greater than 38 degrees Celsius and representing a temperature rise of at least 1 degree Celsius, occurring up to 4 hours post-infusion. If the fever is mild, for our purposes less than 39 degrees Celsius, and there are no other clinical changes, then the fever is most likely due to a febrile non-hemolytic transfusion reaction. This reaction is benign and does not require any workup. Febrile non-hemolytic transfusion reactions can be extremely common, occurring up to 2-5% to of the time. Treatment involves an antipyretic such as acetaminophen or an NSAID, and the transfusion may be resumed cautiously with close monitoring. If your patient has a high fever or accompanying rigors, hypotension, or other symptoms to suggest that they are unwell, you should have more sinister causes of fever high on your differential. Other worrisome clinical changes include chest and flank pain, nausea and vomiting, pain or bleeding around the IV site, and a feeling of impending doom. Think of a possible sepsis from bacterial contamination or an acute hemolytic transfusion reaction from ABO blood type incompatibility. The risk of transfusion-related sepsis is highest in platelet products at about 1 in 1,000 since platelets cannot be stored at colder temperatures that deter bacterial growth. Workup should include a CBC, hemolytic blood work including a DAT, urinalysis, fibrinogen, and blood cultures. Initial management involves moving the patient into a monitored setting, supportive care such as fluids, and starting empiric broad-spectrum antibiotic therapy if sepsis is in the differential. Shortness of breath is also an important and potentially fatal transfusion reaction. Two major conditions should be on your differential here. Transfusion-associated circulatory overload, or TACO for short, occurs, as the name suggests, when the blood product volume and high osmotic force cause overload of the circulatory system, leading to dyspnea secondary to pulmonary edema. This can occur any time during and up to six hours after the transfusion has finished. Patients with a history of dialysis-dependent renal disease and or congestive heart failure are at higher risk, and TACO can be avoided altogether in these high-risk patients by providing diuresis pre-transfusion. TACO occurs in approximately 1% of all transfusions, and is the most common cause of transfusion-related death. In a patient with suspected TACO, look for other signs and symptoms of circulatory overload, including hypertension, tachycardia, orthopnea, and signs of volume overload on clinical exam. Pause the transfusion and ensure the patient is in a monitored setting with frequent vitals. A chest x-ray and brain natriuretic peptide, BNP, will be helpful here to assess the extent of pulmonary edema and heart strain. Treatment of TACO includes diuresis and supplemental oxygen as needed. Once euvolemia is re-established and the hypoxia is resolved, the transfusion can be restarted cautiously at a slower rate. The other concerning cause of acute shortness of breath is TRALI, transfusion-related acute lung injury. TRALI usually occurs quite early on, within one to two hours after a blood transfusion is complete. It is characterized by acute hypoxemia, dyspnea, hypotension, and fever. TRALI is much rarer than TACO, with an incidence of less than 1 in 10,000. If you suspect TRALI, stop the blood transfusion immediately. Investigations include a chest x-ray to check for bilateral pulmonary infiltrates, 
as well as other relevant blood work to rule out TACO and other causes of fever and hypotension that we discussed earlier. Charlie can be indistinguishable from TACO in the initial assessment, and it is very reasonable to trial IV diuresis. Early involvement of a critical care specialist is, well, critical, as more than 50% of patients who develop TRALI will go on to require intubation and mechanical ventilation during the acute phase of their reaction. Unlike the acute transfusion reactions we just covered, some reactions to blood products do not manifest until days to weeks after the transfusion is given. There are four major types of delayed transfusion reactions to be aware of. Delayed hemolytic transfusion reactions usually occur 3 to 14 days post-transfusion and are mediated by mismatches and minor blood antigen groupings. Patients will present with anemia and laboratory evidence of hemolysis, including an elevated reticulocyte count, elevated bilirubin, and positive DAT. The course is self-limited and immediate treatment involves supportive care. If further red blood cell transfusion is indicated as part of management for their anemia, these patients should be given antigen-negative cross-matched units. 2. Post-transfusion purpura is a rare phenomenon that can occur after platelet transfusions due to mismatches in human platelet antigens, or HPA. Patients present 1-14 to 14 days post-transfusion with profound thrombocytopenia of platelets below 10, which is often accompanied by fevers, rigors, and bronchospasm. These cases should be identified and treated promptly, as there is an 8% mortality rate, usually from spontaneous intracranial hemorrhage. The mainstay of treatment is IVIG. The patient should also be informed that they will require platelet matching and HPA-matched platelets for future transfusions. Three. Another extremely related but deadly delayed transfusion reaction is transfusion-associated graft-versus-host disease. During blood product processing, every effort is made to filter out and remove white blood cells. However, small numbers of residual lymphocytes can remain in the transfused blood and start attacking the recipient tissues. Patients will present one to two weeks post-transfusion in what is essentially multi-organ failure. Once transfusion-associated graft-versus-host disease is diagnosed, the fatality rate is over 95%, so minimizing risk is of the utmost significance. Factors that increase the risk of developing transfusion-associated graft-versus-host disease include primary T-cell immunodeficiency, Hodgkin's lymphoma, history of allogenic stem cell transplant, and current use of certain chemotherapeutic drugs. Patients who have any of these risk factors should be ordered irradiated blood products to minimize their risk, since irradiation should kill off any remaining lymphocytes that are sitting around. 4. And lastly, transfusion-associated infections such as HIV, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C are well known for historical reasons. In modern-day transfusion medicine, all donated blood is tested thoroughly for these bloodborne viruses, and the likelihood of getting these infections from blood products is less than one in a million. Did you know the shelf life of donated blood varies greatly depending on the product? Plasma is frozen and can be stored for approximately one year, whereas red blood cells are refrigerated at 6 degrees per Celsius for up to 42 days. 
In contrast, platelets are kept at room temperature on agitators to preserve their quality and may be used within a short period of five days. And there you have it. You finished part two of today's episode entitled Transfusion Without Confusion, a guide to transfusion medicine. If you have Instagram, please give us a search at internetwork uh, and a follow as well and take a look at our page on Twitter as well to receive updates. If you want to read more about the topics discussed today, please go to our website for extra resources um, and an excellent uh, infographic. This episode was written by Dr. Grace Stang, an internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Graham Quest, a metapathologist, and Dr. Siddharta Srivastata, general internist. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai, developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karnopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman's of Anthem Mohan. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.